0: If you're listening to this, you're probably a fan of podcasts. Luckily, Hardware Retailing has two other podcast series for you to enjoy. On Taking Care of Business, Hardware Retailing Executive Editor, Dan Trottencheck, talks to industry veterans and executives to get the latest scoop on the industry and their business. And on Tell Me More, NRHA Retail Outreach Coordinator, Renee Shanyon connects with retailers across North America to learn about their operations, unique ideas and retail insights. You can access all three hardware retailing podcast series by visiting hardwareretailing.com/pod. That's hardwareretailing.com/p o d or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Editorially Speaking, a brand new podcast from Hardware Retailing Magazine. I'm Melanie Mao, the managing editor of Hardware Retailing. On this monthly podcast, you'll get a sneak peek of what's included in the upcoming issue of the magazine. On this episode of Editorially Speaking, we're talking to the 2020 Top Guns Award honorees. For 13 years, the North American Retail Hardware Association has recognized retailers who are leading their operations in innovative ways through the Top Guns Awards. Whether they are focused on fine-tuning the customer experience, exploring new business endeavors, or making the independent industry a career path of choice, Each year sees a new group of retailers who are committed to making their operations in the industry better than they found it. Top Guns are continually dedicated to being ahead of the curve, using the inherent agility of independent retail to their ultimate advantage. On this episode, we have Kevin Hancock, President and CEO of Hancock Lumber, and Kirby Scales, General Manager of Russell DeWitt Center. Welcome to the show, and congratulations on the award.
1: Thank you, Melanie. Appreciate it very much. Likewise. Melanie, thank you.
2: It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: So uh, we're just kinda gonna start at the top to get to know you guys a little better and let our listeners uh, learn a little bit more about you and your businesses. Um, so Kirby, if you can kick us off and just give me a brief history of uh, Russell Dewitt Center and how you got involved in, in the business.
1: Okay, um, as far as getting involved, it was kind of by chance. I had a family friend who owned a single location hardware store and lumber supply, and they needed uh, someone to come into their business and. I agreed and immediately um, enjoyed what I was doing. I enjoyed helping customers. I enjoyed understanding the building process. I enjoyed selling hardware and the interaction was wonderful. Um, So it was kind of the end I decided to, you know, start pursuing a career in it. And um, so it 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 was kind of just by accident or by chance and I think a lot of people in our industry are like that uh, other than you know perhaps someone like Kevin who's you know seventh generation owner I think I read um, so but um, as far as working with Russell it Center um, they that store they started their locations in 1984 and they, they bought a small building supply and they have eventually
0: grown into nine locations and a design center as
1: well throughout central Alabama. So um, just really by luck kind of got into it and uh, I enjoyed it, enjoy it very much. And uh, we continue to grow and, and uh, it's a pleasure working for Russell.
0: So did you start in your current role or did you kind of bring uh, experience from, from your previous job?
1: A broad experience from a previous job uh, put a resume out it was a it was obvious that smaller building supply was not going to grow i was looking for growth uh, didn't really know anyone at russell i uh, just put my resume out and kind of started in at an entry level type position uh kind of worked myself up it was a kind of a management trainee type program uh, did a little bit of contractor sales did a little bit of management eventually earning a, a location management spot, and then eventually being promoted to uh, general manager of all of our locations.
0: So can you explain a little bit about um, kind of the structure of, of the company, because Russell DeWitt Center is kind of a, a smaller entity, even though it's very large, of this kind of bigger company um, that, that kind of serves a big, a big area in, your, in Alabama.
1: It is. We're, we're a division of Russell Lands Incorporated. Um, I'm actually in the conference room of our, our newest facility, which is a, um, outdoor supply, like a, a marina. It's a, you know, marina division. They operate five separate marinas. They have a land development division as well. Um, they're, they, they they have got a construction business as well. And it's really a broad branch of businesses that they offer.
0: So you uh, manage the the home improvement division uh, within the company.
1: That is correct. I manage uh, manage nine locations and a design center as well. Okay.
0: And Kevin, uh, why don't you tell us a little backstory? I think Kirby kind of gave us a little spoiler there with with kind of the the long history of Hancock Lumber. But if you can kind of tell us that history yourself and kind of your story of how you got involved.
2: Sure. Yeah. So our company began doing business in uh, 1848 so i put that in historical context by thinking about uh, the civil war so before the first cannonball was fired in the civil war company was in uh, business up here in maine essentially the same business we're in today and i'm part of the sixth generation of my family to work for the company and we do the things that make sense to do in maine so maine is the most heavily forested state in the nation so we own uh, timberland and we grow trees so our business starts right in the forest and then we have three sawmills at maine that manufacture uh, eastern white pine boards for global distribution. We ship those products throughout the country and around the world. And then finally in Maine and New Hampshire, we have uh, nine kind of contractor-oriented lumber yards with home centers uh, inside them as well as a truss and panel plant. And there are uh, 550 people who are a part of our Company today, so I grew up around the business, worked in the yard in high school, drove truck in college, but actually uh, somewhat ironically as I look back on it, never actually thought about coming to work for the company. It never actually crossed my mind, <laughs> not good or bad, I just never thought about it. I uh, wanted to teach and coach. I played basketball at college and I um, studied history, and when I graduated from college, that was my first job. I got a job teaching and coaching at a private school here in Maine. And then in uh, 1991, about three years after I graduated, my dad, who was running the company at the time, got uh, cancer. He got sick at a very young age. He was diagnosed at 48 in years old in 1991. And that summer, for a variety of reasons, I ended up coming to work for the company. I started on the front counter of our sto- one of our stores. And um, essentially 30 years later, here I am. And it's been an unexpected, but really great journey so far.
0: Yeah, it's kind of funny how, how things come together in the end. And you kind of never think you're going to end up where you are. So um, so I was kind of strategic in the way that I paired these two groups together. Um, for listeners, uh, this is a two-part episode. So there are four Top Gun honorees this year, um, and we wanted to kind of do a, a two-on-two uh, episode. Um, and so when I was putting people together in these groups, um, we've got two people in the, in the Northeast. We've got two people who work... Um, primarily in in lumber. Um, and so I kind of wanted to separate those groups. Um, and as I was putting people together, I was like, But do these people make sense? And I think what's interesting about the two of you is that you you have these home improvement operations, but you also have these kind of bigger operations, these operations that are kind of bigger than home improvement with russell lands and and with the the timberland and and the sawmills that Hancock Lumber has. Um, so, there's, there's kind of an interesting parallel there.
1: That is a perfect match. i mean, I you know, I didn't tell Kevin, but, you know, we're part, we, it's a 25,000 acre uh, ownership of Brussels lands. We, you know, they primarily develop around a, uh, a recreational lake, but they're also in the timber business, similar to you now. They don't dive in as deep as you do, Kevin. We don't produce any lumber, uh, we don't produce any boards, but back in the early history, um, something I failed to mention, long before Russell Building Supply was around, their family did actually own a sawmill and built windows and doors before they ever, and they kind of got out of the business and then they came back in in 1984. So it's uh, very, very similar companies and I wanted to also uh, compliment Kevin on his fine state. Uh, we, we visit, our owner uh, has a home in Maine uh, that we've been fortunate enough to, uh, to go. It's at Hendrick's Head. I don't know if you've ever, if you're familiar with Hendrick's Head I believe it's on um, South, I can't remember the name of the island, but uh, what a wonderful state Maine is. We love to visit. Uh, it, it reminds me a lot of Alabama. Um, that's why we really enjoy going there. Uh, a lot a lot of the people are the same. So, Melanie, I think you did a great job with the pairing, for sure. Um, probably have more, com- more in common than you would think with someone from Alabama and someone from Maine. But uh, <laughs> we do. So... Uh, but I uh, really enjoy visiting Maine as well, Kevin. It's a it's a beautiful state.
2: <clears throat> well, we'll have to get together the next time you come up this way. We we sure. would love that, Kirby.
1: Yes, that would be great. I think I've, I think I've ridden past uh, one of your stores. Do you have a store in Brunswick or New Brunswick? Is that um, we, perhaps? We, yes, in Brunswick, just up the coast from Portland. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, so enjoy visiting for sure. So, yeah, I definitely have to stop by next time we, we make it up there. We actually had a roundtable meeting, uh, our group, um, last summer. Uh, it popped up on my memories on my phone, and and it kind of set the bar for all of our roundtable meetings. Now they all want to go back to Maine every time. So <laughs> I don't know if we're going to be able to pull that off, but uh, everyone was definitely enjoyed their time there.
0: Yeah, this is definitely a different way to do uh, Top Guns. And and I know we have the um, conference panel discussion scheduled for uh, a couple of weeks from now. And, and it'll, it's definitely a different scenario for us not to be able to all be in the same room and, and on the same stage. But I kind of wanted to, to touch base on, on what's happening in the world right now and, and how it's impacted the industry. So I kind of want to find out how you guys responded to COVID-19 in your operations um, and, and kind of what you think the impact of the pandemic is going to have on the industry um, in, in the near term, in the long term. Um, Kevin, can you kind of talk about how you guys approached it?
2: Sure. Well, it, it, uh, the end of the story so far is it's been ironically a very positive experience at work not to say that it hasn't been a super big challenge for many people across the country, but uh, we've been one of those companies that um, never closed. We stayed open the entire time and we never worked remotely. We have not figured out how to make lumber from our couch and sweatpants. So we're in one of those businesses where you have to if you're gonna do it, you have to be there. So we really quickly uh, went to work talking to our employees first about, did they want to do this? Once uh, we learned that we could stay open, the second question, which was the big one to me, which was to make sure that our employees wanted to continue working because I had no interest in making people work and taking the time to go through that dialogue first, I think was really powerful for us because the decision to keep working was a choice that everybody made. So once we made that choice, it was then about everybody leading and figuring out how to keep things clean and how to keep things distanced and how to keep things calm and how to keep things safe. And we were quite lucky, probably like Kirby's company, at the very beginning, there were no state rules for how to do this, uh, We so we had the opportunity to create our own systems that fit our own industry and company. And we were really lucky that way. What ended up happening down the road is state started regulating how different industries had to do things. And I think, unfortunately, despite, despite that being well-intended, that probably ended up making things a lot more complicated. Uh, nobody knows our company or our industry better than better than we do. but. Um, Anyway, we've been able to stay open the entire time. We've worked over 600,000 employee hours without a single case of uh, the virus. Our builders have kept building, and I've heard a lot of feedback in in recent months and weeks about how our employees have appreciated the normalcy that being able to continue to go to work has uh, created. And because of this experience that we've had, it's really impacted how I've thought about the virus broadly. Uh, And I really am a proponent of the possibility of working and being safe. At a lot of levels, this got turned into a choice of we can either work or be safe. And that produces one set of outcomes, but I think the best possibility is that we can work and be safe, that we can go about the vast majority of our normal lives and still uh, do it in a distanced, clean, responsible, safe way. The last thing I would add is once we distanced every function in our company, um, things actually got a bit better. Safety got a bit better. Productivity got a bit better. Efficiency got a bit better. And the spacing that we ended up creating, I think, really allowed people a bit more focus on the, the piece of work that was before them. So, so far, um, it's it's been a really good uh, Honestly, it's been a really good experience for us so far. It's brought our company, I would say, closer together.
0: So are these systems that you think will continue, uh, you know, after a vaccine, after, you know, the, the surge has, has slowed, the, the curve has gone it, down?
2: I, I do. I think that um, spacing makes sense. I think keeping things clean makes sense. You know, we, our industry, at least our company, always like the, um, the expense that got cut first was a, a cleaning company. So the bathrooms might not be in great shape. The lunchrooms might not be in great shape. And really that doesn't make any sense work should be uh should be a clean place so i think a lot of those things will stay and 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 are for the better the other uh, thing that i we found really interesting is we cut out of course a tremendous amount of travel and movement and we're now looking at all that travel and movement and saying was it really necessary. There is a lot less movement in our company today. And I would say it's probably produced better management and better results, not worse. So I think the other opportunity is to really look at what is essential and what isn't essential. And uh, there's a lot of activity that maybe we were doing that would fall under the category of running around and hustling and trying to be everywhere that maybe wasn't quite necessary.
0: Kirby, what about on your end? How did how did you guys manage it at the front end, and and what do you kind of see maybe even remaining in place in the future?
1: I would definitely agree with Kevin. It, it's it's been a extremely positive experience, uh, for Russell. Uh, it, it started off of course with everyone being a little frightened, a little bit timid, but once, once we were deemed essential, uh, like, like Hancock Lumber, our employees were happy to go to work. Um, you know, the state of Alabama is, is a blue collar state and, uh, everyone was, was proud to, to say they were going to work and we became more efficient. Uh, we took on, uh, you know, better uh, a little bit more responsibility. Uh, it challenged all of our management team. Uh, we did the necessary precautions, like everyone else. Uh, we became a little bit cleaner. Uh, we became a little bit more careful. We we limited people in and out of the store that were not necessary. Um, you know, one example: no outside sales reps were allowed into our stores. And anybody in our industry knows that's a constant flow um so that, that was a hard call to make but uh we made it because we need those guys we need the interaction but when you sit back and you look at the overall experience and we're still experiencing it as well we're actually having a spike in the state of alabama currently um we have become better managers uh it, it's almost like the, the the crash the earlier crash the, the busier you are or you look at your you look at your past mistakes and Do we need to travel? Do we need to run around? Do we need to be at this meeting? Do I need to pull 10 managers out of their daily routines to go meet in a boardroom when I can pick up the phone, pick up the phone, call them and say, hey, how are you doing? Everything's fine, keep it going, pat on the back, move on. So efficiency was, it, it, it shot up. And I was really impressed on how we operated despite how busy we were. And we realized our potential And so now every employee is better. Every employee is proud that they have continued to work. Uh, They haven't relied on any type of bailouts. Uh, We've added sick days. You know, we we did add a lot of things to make it easier. And if, like Kevin said, we didn't want to make anyone work, okay, if they didn't want to be there, we don't want you to be there. So we had very few cases amongst 225 employees that abused our new policy, we gave an additional, um, I think I gave an additional seven sick days. So it, it ramped up to 10 sick days on top of vacations. So if someone came to us and said, hey, um, you know, my cousin tested positive, I was around him this weekend, we, we we, did not punish them or make them feel punished. If they wanted to leave and go get tested, then we let them leave and we didn't punish them, they were still paid. Uh, Fortunately, we have ha- not had a case either. Uh, remarkably, uh, I'm sure that could possibly change in the upcoming weeks, but uh, we've been very fortunate, and um, a sense of pride has been established that we we've been open and we've been able to maintain all this business. And uh, it, it's definitely been a challenge, and I'm sure we'll touch on some of those challenges in, in these other questions. But uh, um, just from a supply standpoint, has been our a, a, a tough, tough hurdle for us, uh, but we've managed to make it through, and we're proud of where we are right now.
0: I think one thing that come that has come up a lot throughout this pandemic, and in the people that we've been talking to um, for hardware retailing and, and um, NRHA, is it's kind of talking about how this experience has has kind of redefined, or, or in some cases, reinforced this this idea of how independents serve their customers um, and this this concept of service and how when you need to socially distance um, how can you continue to provide the service that independent retailers are known for um, so how does that kind of define um, your approach moving forward um, you know will things get back to normal and are there things that that maybe you will keep that you've learned through this experience that will improve the customer experience in the future. Kirby, can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure, I think our customers have become a little bit more reliable on um, deliveries. Uh, That's something that the big box stores uh, are always challenged with. We have a a large fleet of trucks and we're able to get most of our orders out same day, uh, sometimes same morning. And that is huge value, and, and I touched on, on some of the questions I answered. We saw a lot of customers <clears throat> that may have typically been big box customers. Saw a lot of new faces in our stores, and I think we were able to grasp that customer and see that hey, I can I can order something at nine o'clock, and I can be working on my project by one o'clock that afternoon with the, with the product on the ground at my home, you know credit card transaction over the phone, whatever it needs to be. So it was a touchless, seamless you know, process. And uh, so I, I think that in the future, you're gonna see more people rely on that from independence. And, and I think that we can come out of this probably uh, with the quote feather in our cap uh, for some of those that may have not done business with us in the past.
0: Kevin, what about you? How has it kind of changed your your concept of customer experience or customer service?
2: Well, I agree with everything Kirby just said. That all makes so much sense, and it is all true for us as well. Like you know, we um, we're a big delivery company. Prior to the virus, seventy percent of what we sell, we deliver. So we already had that foundation in place. But uh we ended up putting in place um uh to go program where you could call in or or email in your order and pick it up out front and but what I would say I think the big opportunity here that's uh, it's helpful for the future is really being positioned to allow the customer to act Us on their terms. If they want to come into the store, come into the store. If you want to skip the store and just go to the yard, skip the store and go to the yard. If you want to do business online, do it online. If you want to do it through your sales rep, do it through your sales rep. If you want, I think the the real opportunity is as a company is to be able to have a menu of ways that the customer can interface, let the customer choose, and let the market really drive which uh, interaction strategies grow. So I think the the dealing with COVID-19 has probably expanded everybody's thinking about how we can interact with the customer and i think that's going to be positive in the future post virus
0: thinking beyond everything that's happened in 2020 um let's think about the next five years the next decade um what do you think are going to be the key things that will be different in the industry in that in that in that in that timeframe? And how do you think independents will need, or what do you think they'll need to do to continue to be competitive in their communities? Kevin?
2: Well, this is a great question. And the first thing I think I would say is really no one has any idea what the industry or the country or the world is going to look like 10 years from now. Nobody predicted the virus. Nobody predicted the housing crash uh, of 2008. Nobody predicted 9-11. So I think one of the real lessons for business today is you've got to be uh, financially strong and you've got to be really agile so that you can adjust to things you can't even anticipate or contemplate. (laughs) That's just how quickly the world is changing. You've got to be flexible. But within that, I do think 13 certain themes are likely. I do think that self-service or elements of self-service are going to become uh, bigger and more popular for customers that essentially we're gonna be open in a lot of ways 24-7 and the customer can access our information whenever they want on their terms i also think that value added services are going to become more important than products products are super important but everybody's got them and everybody's got the same products so it's really the services that complement those products that are going to make the difference and that finally i think Maybe the biggest change is not going to be with customers. It's going to be with employees. I think that the place of work is going to really change over the course of the next decade. And that for people to want to work to be willing to work and to be super excited about work that the company is going to have to be a company is going to have to be very employee centric and really create an environment that uh, honors, and celebrates and, it's, and motivates and inspires the people who work there. I think that uh, we've already made this shift. Our first focus is not the customer. We use a piece of main slang here. The customer comes a wicked close second. We're very into our customers, but they don't come first. The people who work here come first. And we feel that if we create an exceptional experience for them, that they will in turn create an exceptional experience for the customer but i think this old assumption that there'll always be employees who'll just show up no matter what the work experience is like that that is not going to be the case uh, maybe today and definitely not in the future
0: i i appreciate that you went ahead and answered my follow-up question so i was going to ask how you guys are how you guys are working that philosophy into your operation but with that with that uh employee first um mentality it it probably has has a pretty immediate effect on the people who work for you and even to a certain extent the people who want who apply for jobs at hancock lumber do you find that to be the case
2: Well, hopefully, for sure. Yeah. I mean, we're really focused on trying to first be a great place to work. And and that that hopefully creates a great place to shop and buy, you know, nationally. engagement, employee engagement in America, according to Gallup, is about 32%. So think about that. That means two out of three workers in America aren't really into their job. It's just an economic exercise. And not only is that a, uh, Lost opportunity for business. It's just a lost opportunity for living because people who work spend so much of their life doing it. Our number one metric has become employee engagement as defined by the people who work here. And our employee engagement third party surveys are running close to 90%. So in a country where one out of three employees will describe themselves as engaged, we've been able to get to the point at Hancock Lumber where nine out of 10 will confidentially describe their work experience as engaging.
0: That's great that's a wonderful metric to, to kind of measure and and have that success. So, um, Kirby, what about for you? What do you, what kind of insights, insights, if I can ask you to do this, look into the future, do you have about what the industry will look like in the next five years to the decade? Um, and, and what kind of plans do you have for Russell DeWitt center in that time?
1: Um, yeah, I I wish I knew of course in five to 10 years, but, uh, you know, employee engagement, such as what Kevin, you know, touched on. We we've always strive for a very pleasant work environment, and uh, if you don't have a pleasant work environment, it's going to translate over to the customer, the customer experience. So, uh, we we make sure our managers are fully engaged with all our employees as well. Uh, with the the pulse of the employee, always you need to know how they're feeling and. They can they they are everything to your business. Um, you know, down to every person, whether the guy cleaning the bathroom or the guy delivering the load. I mean, if you think about the customer interaction, they're dealing with a contractor salesman or a cashier at very little time. You know, our truck drivers to me are one of the most important people in our company because they are the guy in the field that's dropping that load off or dropping the material. And they're the that's the customer right there. That's what our end customer sees and so that's been very important to us as far as as far as just some uh, dynamics of the industry uh, you know we, we've made a focus on installed sales in a couple of our divisions and I think that the way the industry is moving at least in, in the state of Alabama is we are we are seeing uh, customers that are asking us to handle more and more on their jobs. So as far as as our hiring, we are trying to hire people that have possibly had experience in the field. Uh, We look hard into HVAC, electrical, plumbing, uh, construction, maybe a guy's just tired of the uh, the rat race in electrical or plumbing. And so we will really try to hire those types of people because what we're seeing is the customer really wants us to handle it from start to finish. So we're in our product. so we we kind of dove into installing things. We're down to installing kitchen faucets now. I mean, we will we will do a bath. We will handle a bathroom remodel for you from start to finish. And that's something that you know, ten years ago, I would have said no way, not going to do it, not going to risk liability. But with the with the lack of um, skilled labor that we're seeing, there is a gap there in the state of Alabama that. Uh, that installed sales can continue to grow. And um, and as far as our contractor salesmen, we try to have some salesmen that have experience in the field, have some work experience as far as construction, and they're able to help the younger contractors uh, with their with their knowledge from the past and their knowledge of working at a building supply that we're really not award takers anymore like we used to be. When I first started in the industry, the contractors were, they would bring in their orders. You would price it for them. It was a pretty simple process. You shipped it out. Now you get a PDF file and it's yours. And if you make the most effort, uh, you're probably gonna get the job. Uh, and that goes from you know the estimating on the house plans, figuring the floor trusses, figuring the roof trusses, uh, figuring doors, hardware. I mean, everything that goes into the process of building a home, uh, more and more emphasis is being thrown to, for us to handle it. So um, we've been able to do that. We've been able to capture a lot of those builders in that way. Basically, as a we're almost an aide to the superintendent on the job. So it's almost like we're an employee of that contractor in a way. Uh, so we have to work a little bit harder for the business. But once you gain that respect and gain, and they have the trust in the pricing and the service, you really are able to maintain that customer uh, over and over again versus just a bid process every time someone's building a home or someone has a multifamily project.
0: So believe it or not, we're almost at the 45 minute mark. So I wanted to kind of open it up. uh, If you, if the two of you had any questions for each other um, to kind of give you that opportunity before I dive into the last question.
1: No pressure if you don't. question for Kevin if that's okay. Kevin um, I noticed you know you talk about full accessibility and and we primarily are offering that but we have yet to put our what we'll call commodities online for pricing. I'm curious are you putting your pricing out there online for everyone to see or are you requiring uh, some type of sign-in or you know, options for only certain customers can go into your system and look at active pricing?
2: That's a great question. We've spent a lot of time thinking about how to do that. So uh, yes, we ended up doing it in two ways. So we've got um, some quick pricing platforms, I call them, estimating platforms where our customers can grab quick numbers that may not exactly end up being theirs theirs may end up being slightly better but they're close enough for estimating in a hurry but then we've also set up our system so that each client can access their own individual price module and we've got each customer on a matrix that's designed to fit their business and their priorities now those prices always um you know have some room to to adjust when the seller and the customer finalizing things but we've we've gotten quite a ways towards our customers being able to grab their prices, including for commodities and and go with them. Yes, and I do think it's something we need to figure out because I think it's the way people are gonna wanna buy and get pricing in the future. How about your company?
1: Yeah, we, like you, we're designed price matrix for specific customers and we have different pricing and that's that's been the challenge for me to just to put out a, you know, the price of a eight foot stud out online for, for the whole world to see. So I, I favor a little bit more of a dial into your own account to see your particular pricing on it, uh, with a sign in and a password. And, um, I would probably have to work with our point of sale system at that, because right now we're just not capable of doing that. We offer, you know, uh, an online shopping experience, and we offer online account management. They can make payments online, they can pay, you know, with a check online, they can see their balances, they can see all their invoices. But I've yet to put the pricing out there, uh, simply because of the volatile markets that we've been experiencing. Um, and But I feel like it's it's definitely necessary for the future. And it's gonna be the only way to go in the future, especially amongst the, the younger generation of builders who are less likely to travel into your brick and mortar store. Uh, we're, we see more of those guys uh, managing from afar versus the older experienced builder with a tool belt coming in for his coffee every morning. And we still have that, which is great. Uh, we're, we're probably about 50-50. Um, so we're fortunate to be able to supply both sides, but. It has been my biggest goal and challenge uh, to be able to give that customer full access, especially with everything that's happened with COVID-19. That's, you know, when you, you Mel, you talked about how do you see it in five to 10 years? I see it as as less less contact, less interaction face-to-face. So we've got to be cutting edge in how we are able to uh, give access to our contractors, builders, do it yourselfers, and remodelers, and for the homeowners as well. So, um, I, I kind of like the idea of maybe a sign in to your account and utilizing the matrix that we already have in place, Kevin. So, uh, but it is a challenge in, the, in, in who, who, you know, who, who monitors that. We, we, have, we have 10 locations, uh, we don't see pricing amongst locations. Uh, Because we identify each market, every market's different. Uh, If we're in a market that's extremely competitive, you know, um, a 2 by 4 stud may be 15 cents cheaper in that particular market. And so that presents a whole other set of challenges. And I'm sure Kevin can relate with that. You know, the customer says, well why is a stud $3 here and $3.15 at this location? So, Um, because part of what I felt like it's made us successful is I've tried not to cookie cut all of our stores and, and, and not be, you know, Home Depot, Lowe's, Menards, but to be Russell and to identify to each individual market. But it also has its drawbacks too, like the online presence. So if you have, if you're not sinking your pricing in nine stores on certain commodities, then. That's that's a challenge. And it's easy with hardware. All of our hardware is synced, all of our, you know, grills, all the fun stuff, you know, light bulbs, all that good stuff are are all synced, but the commodities are not synced. So uh, any any suggestions there would be greatly appreciated, I tell you, if you've had to experience it.
2: At- On a different note, I might real quick, Kirby, I did have one um big compliment for your company and and your people i was on your website this morning and it looked like a great place to shop and work i think and the point i wanted to share here is i think that um, our industry can get labeled as a very traditional past based kind of industry that's not really out at front of where humanity is heading and i think it's really important for any company in any industry to be a place of energy positive energy neat clean bright technology sharp looking progressive and when i was on your uh, site this morning that's what just kept coming through To me, Uh, it it, um, felt really energetic and positive and fresh and new and creative and resourceful. And so I just wanted to um, share that with you and say, way to go. Well,
1: very kind words and thank you. And likewise, uh, of course, curiosity got me and I had to look at your website as well. And I. I almost said that these look like two mirror companies. Uh, They just happen to be in different states.
0: So I was hoping to get just a little snippet from each of you um, about your first job and kind of what you gained from it, learned from it, and maybe even what you may still use uh, today. So Kevin, can you uh, tell us a little bit about your first job?
2: Yeah, uh, well, I had a few, but the one that caught my attention with this question, uh, was towards the end of my time at college, I actually uh, spent one summer in Yellowstone National Park cleaning hotel rooms. So essentially, I was a maid for the summer. Now, they called us room attendants, but we were cleaning rooms. And what I took from that, though, was I was so happy that summer because I was somewhere I wanted to be. I really wanted to be in the American West that summer. I really wanted to be hiking in Yellowstone that summer. And that um, that job served my life at that moment in time. And what I took from that when I thought about it is it's not always – the function of the job, it's the right place, the right culture at the right moment in time, and that it's really important that, that jobs serve a higher, broader purpose for the people who do them. And when you have that, I think almost any job can be a valuable um exciting job and when you don't have that I think almost no job can be a valuable exciting job
0: Kirby how does your first job compare
1: (laughs) I I took it literally when you said first job Uh, uh, like Kevin I've had numerous jobs throughout high school and college but my my first job was Taco Bell and um, that was in high school and I was proud to work at Taco Bell it was a fresh new restaurant it was it was new to alabama it was we were in a small town uh, so so was probably one of four or five um, restaurants in town uh, a lot of the teenagers hung out in the parking lot and it was kind of cool to work there and um, i worked there and it it, it what it does is it, it instills a work ethic into you and it makes you proud from a young age you know i was able to go out and buy a vehicle Uh, My friends were not able, not all, not everyone's able to go out and buy their own vehicle uh, without help. So, yeah, it it instills a a little bit of self pride, and the big picture of what I really gained from that job is to respect everyone, no matter what they're doing in their life. If, If if you're gonna if you're gonna make tacos, okay, I decided I was gonna make the best taco that anybody was making that night, and I was gonna fold my burrito. More perfect, and there would be no sauce coming out of that, you know. So I think it's it's all up to the person, and it's, it's like school, you know. It's what you make of your job, or you know what you make of school. Uh, so suppose you go to a, a crummy public school system. Well, I've seen some great kids come out of crummy public school systems. It's because they took their opportunity and they said, "I'm going to make this the best opportunity. I'm, I'm going to make the best of this." And I'm going to become the best at my craft. So uh, that's really kind of what it instills. And, and I would encourage uh, young people to go out and, and take those jobs. And and I really try to gravitate towards the younger employee and let them know that our industry is a fantastic industry. And a lot of people don't realize the potential and how once you're in our industry, it, you, you never get out of it, really. And there's always a job if something doesn't work out for you. Um, you, know, you, you learn to read blueprints or, or estimate floor trusses or mix paint or key locks or any of those things that come with running a hardware and lumber building supply. There's, there's not another place, you know another building supply or hardware store around that won't hire you. So we really encourage those kids through high school work programs, uh, any of the kids that are coming out of the local community college, we're in constant communications with their admissions officers. And I'm always looking for that bright spot kid, you know, the kid coming out that maybe our our industry was not on their radar. So, and uh, we've had a few kids fall into that and they've made careers and they're going to make great employees.
0: Thank you both so much for taking the time today for this great conversation. Um, and uh, we will hopefully uh, be able to connect in person sometime in the future, maybe get the Top Guns alumni group together.
2: <laughs> Sounds great. Thank you, Melanie.
0: All right, well, thank you both so much.